Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Fanzine Podcast. Just before we get started with the show, this is your host, Tony Fletcher. I want to invite you to sign up for the weekly newsletter over at tonyfletcher.substack.com. It'll give you updates on this podcast, my other podcast, all forms of recommendations with a midweek update, a long-form weekend read. Sign up is absolutely free. There are interview archives, uh, additional podcast features, and you will be able to to see uh, more of the fanzines that uh, we're talking about on this show. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. Thanks again. Now on with the pod. Confessions grew out of Bob Gun zine archive, which is where I've been archiving my old zines and other people's. And of course, the inevitable happened from doing that, that someone says, oh, you should start a zine. You should bring back Bubblegum Slut. And I was like, well, I'm not interested in doing that. But it did start this idea of if I bring out a new zine now, what should it be about? And the first sort of concept for it was, well, I'm completely out of the music scene. I've got nothing to say about music anymore. But what would a music fanzine look like written by someone that's completely out of that circuit? It's the fanzine. Fanzine. Podcast. I mean, the thing about a fanzine was holding it in your hand, right? And looking at the way it had been put together and the punk way it had been put together, quite quite frankly. And it had a staple in it, you know? And, and that was, that is a fanzine, right? Welcome everybody to the oral equivalent of issue 17 of the Fanzine Podcast, where, as it says on the label, we talk zines. And today we're going to be talking a couple of contemporary or near enough contemporary zines. We're definitely going to get more contemporary than we did in earlier episodes, which is something really, really, really good for me. I've been wanting all along for this uh, fanzine podcast to move away from what some people see as a peak period of zines in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, the whole post-punk period. The fact of the matter is that zines have always been with us. They always will be with us. And as you're going to hear today, some people do multiple zines in a short burst of creativity, which is the case with Jane Appleby. And other people do one zine, put out 38 issues of it, hit the wall, take a break, leave the music business, walk away from it all due to uh, the lifestyle induced by the fanzine they were producing, come back round to the entire concept 10 years later. And as you heard on that opening soundbite, I think we call it the cold open, uh, come back round to the concept a decade later and produce a fanzine. And in this case, the fanzine is called Confessions of an Ex-Zine Editor. And that is Alison B, who we will be talking to as well. One of the multiple reasons I was happy to do this episode is it gets us um, it gets us obviously you know up into a more modern time frame, uh, especially the fact that Confessions of an Ex-Zine Editor is an ongoing publication. Uh, but also it gets me away from the comfort zone of talking to people who, even if I hadn't had conversations with them before, I very much knew who they were. I came across Alison because of her Instagram account, the Bubblegum Zine Archive, and she was mentioning 
this podcast, the jamming podcast, the fanzine podcast, and saying how much she enjoyed it. And I thought, well, that's great. And I couldn't quite work out what she was doing on this Instagram account. So I made contact and she told me, and she told me about Confessions of an Ex-Zine Editor. And we agreed to swap. She would send me a bunch of issues of her old zine and of Confessions. And I got her a copy of the jamming book. I'm so glad we did that because as you will hear on the interview that follows, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly in love with Confessions of an Ex-Zine Editor. It is it is a fantastic concept, really, really well executed, and I strongly encourage you to uh, reach out and to read it uh, because it's something that's actually quite unique, quite special. And Alison was good enough to recommend, once I said I wanted to get her on the show, uh, she recommended Jane, who was uh, in keeping with our tradition at the moment, somebody that Alison sort of half knew but wasn't sure she'd ever met, but had had a pen pal relationship with. And Jane has been a force of nature herself, um, putting out so many zines over a, a relatively short period of time, still clearly, obviously, very much in love with the zine culture. So for me, I'm getting like a really fresh take on this, which is important because a point that I make later on in this show is that zines have been around since the invention of the printing press. And I'd like to go both further back and even further up to date and further afield and more away from music and more away from the UK as well. And as long as there's interest in this show, then that's what I'm going to do going forward once a month. These episodes typically dropping in the middle of the month. Now, I do want to say if you have any interest whatsoever in being kept up to date with uh, news about this podcast, about my other podcast, or if you even halfway know me, Tony Fletcher, for any of my writing and just want to be kept, A, informed on what I'm doing with it, but more to the point, receive some free writing once a week um, for the weekend, for your weekend read, then all you have to do is go to Tony Fletcher dot substack dot com just enter your email address and you'll receive the newsletter this is also where i'm going to be posting longer um interview archives from the books i've written there's going to be some keith moon interview archives coming up those will be for uh paid subscribers but the basic subscription is free and with that i'm gonna let alison and jane pick this up i started out just asking them where they were in the world to describe uh the zines that they are known for i will see at the far end with just a couple of follow-ups enjoy what follows uh it's time for their confessions I'm Alison. I'm in Essex today. Um, so calling myself Alison here, but I'm trading under the ex-editor for zine purposes at the moment. Um, so my two zines, um, I edited Bubblegum Slut from 2000 to 2011. I had a long break and then I had a comeback this year and made a zine about that long break, which is Confessions for Next Zine Editor. And it's fantastic. It really is. And it's uh, what got me uh, really wanted to, uh, to to talk to you here. Jane. Hi, I'm Jane and I'm in Newcastle upon Tyne. And I did fanzines for probably just over 10 years from the mid 90s to the mid 2000s. You did a bunch of them as well, didn't you? You want to yeah, run off I a did few a whole... titles. Yeah, I did them various titles, um, Pretty But Schizo, Pussy Rock. This is our truth, which I co-edited with someone else. 
um, Bambi, uh, Trophy Fuck, different titles. Yeah. Uh, it, and one reason this is I'm really looking forward to this is because this is getting me out of the uh, – the sort of familiar ground that I've done most of my episodes on so far, where the zines, even if I didn't particularly know the zines themselves, I, I knew the people, I knew the culture. Mm. And uh, be because I was long off in the States and, and not around sort of fanzines anymore, uh, it's it's really exciting for me to have people that, are, that started up in the mid-90s and the 2000s. And, um, and the fact that you've done so much interesting stuff. And additionally, uh, am I right that for the third episode running, you two know each other? You must do because Alison suggested yeah. you, Jane, but you've never met. Is that right? I think we met once years ago at the Emily Autumn concert in London. I was trying to remember because we've traded scenes for years. Yeah. But I couldn't think if we've ever actually met in person. Would that have been with Sophia from Noisy Zone? Yeah. 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 Well, is it possible that you would have struggled to remember that, Alison? Because I'm going to I'm, I'm going to let you take the limelight a little bit here for the first few minutes. Because Confessions of an Ex Fanzine editor is um, a pretty uh, it, it's amazing, and there is a backstory to it. There's a reason to why you stopped doing your fanzine, uh, Bubblegum Slut. After uh, Bubblegum Slut, after something like 38, 39 issues. Um, 38 issues yeah yeah i mean you had a long long run but can you elaborate on why you gave it up and then why it's taken 10 years to uh to come back and then why you have titled this new zine what you have titled it oh god um <laughs> short answer drugs <laughs> um yeah it took a long long time to kind of reconnect with my creativity once I got into recovery um, and something that's been really interesting with confessions is how many people have come forward and said they've associated with those experiences I've written about um, which I guess I should be surprised about that it's such a common experience but I think there's a little bit of a stigma about saying the statue doesn't feel so good when you get into recovery saying you're not on the pink cloud and yeah I just found it really hard to connect with writing for 10 years um and confessions of an ex-lean editor the title kind of comes from the fact that it's about the period of my life where i wasn't writing zines it is and obviously there's something a little meta about this because you're calling it confessions of an ex-fanzine writer but it's a fanzine Yes. <laughs> so I kind of knew the title was right when it first came to me because I realised it would be a complete contradiction the moment the first issue was printed. And there's something very zine about that, isn't there? There's something really, really zine about that. The, uh, the, the drugs, as you just put it in one word, bubblegum slut, as maybe the name would suggest. And again, this is a music scene that I know certain elements of what you have written about pretty well and other elements I don't and some of it's not my natural um my natural area of the music world to hang out but but in short the way I read it and saw it is it, it it's a very rock and roll environment that you were writing about uh, a kind of like you know how many bands can you go see in one night a sort of hard living environment and totally. yeah. that's that's correct um, all of that very much so. I mean, the final issue was titled The We Parted Too Hard issue and it was six months late. Um, 
I think it kind of explained why the scene needed to end at that point. I just couldn't fit it in anymore, um, couldn't sustain it. Um, and this is something that's actually come up with a couple interviewees for Confessions who are very much of the same generation and came out of the same scene as me. Um, I've sort of put it to them. The scene we came up in at that time, you kind of have to be up for all the sex, drugs and rock and roll. And Edgelord was a bit of an insult then, whereas it was a bit of an insult now, whereas at that time that was something to aspire to. Um so yeah, it very much came out of a time and a place to sort of sleaze rock, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What was the word that you said it was something people aspired to? Uh, edge lord. What is that? I think so. That's that's something the kids will use as an insult now to say, "Oh, you're trying to be, you're trying to be edgy, you're trying to go okay. to extremes and draw attention to yourself." But I think. For my generation and the alternative scene at that time, that was that was more something to aspire to, and we also got caught up in that. I get it. So, did you say Edge Lord? Edge Lord, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even though uh, I guess the slang is different in uh, different countries, I haven't heard that one, despite having a uh, an eighteen year old. So, okay, <laughs> Jane, you're um you're up in Newcastle. You've done your zines up in Newcastle. I spent some time there when I was much 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 younger uh, with Tyne mm. Tees uh have you been down a similar path at all is this like you obviously know of allison's but is this yeah alien ground or familiar ground to you um some of it's familiar ground i think for myself um i loved a lot of the bands that allison talked about and like the whole hair like the sort of sleaze hair metal scene i'd like i'd been into it when i was sort of um a, a bit younger and so I didn't get into kind. I didn't get into fanzines until later. Um, I think probably the main issue for me wasn't addiction. It was probably more mental health issues. Okay, and is that something that the scene exacerbated, amplified? Do you think? Um. Hmm, sometimes. I mean, I think that um, because I was a big fan of Manic Street Preachers, a lot of the a lot they i mean they were they were the a band that probably had more fanzines than any other band and um i think sometimes there was a bit of an unhealthy culture there right i i get it um and that's interesting to know that about the manics it's clear in mm. hindsight how important they have been and um I think people, maybe people do know the stories uh, around them, but not to get too mm. far into the manics. I mean, very important band. But when you say more fanzines than anybody else, how many fanzines are we talking about? Would you have known around the manics? Um, I mean, probably off the top of my head, I can think of maybe 10, 12. Really? Wow. Yeah, not all going at the same time, but definitely they had a, like other bands would maybe have like, you would know of like maybe one or two fanzines. But then the manics just, seem to inspire loads for some reason i don't know maybe it was the nature of the band that they're quite sort of a, a literary band and there's a lot of references you can discuss and there are and i think when you wrote to me originally when i when i contacted mm. you jane and you wrote back this long list of fanzines that you've done i think mm. it's close somewhere around about 10 at least one yeah. of them mentioned uh mentioned the manix uh so yeah. did you have a fanzine that was that was dedicated to the manix um it wasn't so much dedicated to the Manics as to the fans. Mm. 
mm-hmm. because at the time in the late 90s after um Richie Edwards went missing the band had sort of to a lot of fans it felt like they changed direction mm-hmm. and they kind of disowned their old fan base a bit and it was it was basically the experiences of all the fans the good and the bad and so um I did get a lot of well myself and the other person who did it Minnie who's also done a lot of fanzines over the years um we did get a lot of stick for it because you were I, be- I I believed I believed in doing it because I believed that the fans especially the women had had the right to have their stories heard good and staying with the fact uh that both of you are uh both of you are women dealing with maybe you know to some extent with the manics but i think you know you mm. mentioned you mentioned a one of your zines jane that's got the f word and i mm. you know it's about groupies and you wrote to me yeah. you actually wrote to me i've got the note here somewhere that you wanted them to have their stories told you think they've been mm. under they've been undervalued and any yeah. any zine that's calling itself bubblegum slut is either being very very ironic or it's or it's celebrating the sexuality of rock and roll and judging by the covers of the issues you sent me Alison, it's the latter you know there's these uh, thematic cartoons of scantily dressed uh, you know, rock and roll chicks if i can use that term so i i want to give you a chance to talk about that because you know, here we are in 2023, and for the last few years, um, you know, the 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 uh, Me Too movement has been very, very powerful, and and rightly so. Uh, where does where does the sexuality that you that you both seem to have been willing to celebrate uh, fit into sort of underground underground music culture, where usually we're 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 pushing against sort of stereotypes, etc. I want to give you a chance to actually talk for your culture. Um, I think for Bubblegum Slut, there were a lot of riot girl zines around at that time that were sort of much more politicised on this. Um, I mean, Bubblegum Slut probably stood in opposition to that, really, which I'm not proud to say now. But um, it did really celebrate the kind of groupie culture. Um, the fourth issue had an interview with Donna Anderson. Um, I think it was on Metal Sludge and that theme ran throughout the 38 issues um so it was always a little bit out of step with other aspects of zine culture i think it was very diy um very kind of scrappy but a lot of the sort of more politicized and right on zines didn't really know where it sat um yeah there's some of it that is funny looking back on and there is some of it i don't stand by (laughs) Right. And you address some of that in Confessions. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jane? Yeah, I think the same. And definitely um, from the sort of early 90s onwards, as Alison says, there was um, the sort of riot girl culture and that that was sort of more politicised. And now I feel like I can relate to a lot of them. But whereas back then I felt like more alienated from them because I felt like, oh, I don't really fit in with what you're saying because there's no place for me to be someone who loves Guns and Roses or, you know, yeah. um, Hanoi Rocks or something and and be, you know, and and, and call myself a feminist because you're saying that I, I sort of can't have the two sort of opposing um, forces that can't be reconciled. So I think 
that's something that's changed a bit now because there have been quite a movement sort of yeah. proclaimed the term bimbo, hasn't there? And I think the culture now, it's yeah. much easier to sort of hold those two things that I can dress how I want and still be a feminist. Mm. But I think there was mm. perhaps more of a separation at that time, wasn't there? But um, yeah, if you're sort of featuring groupies um venerating hair metal, you, those two things are not compatible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, like, the first fanzine I ever did, Jezebel, was, like, um, an erotic fanzine because I was trying to do a fanzine version of Skin mm-hmm. 2, oh. the fetish man. And in the end, I stopped doing it because I got so much dodgy mail off blokes. <laughs> oh, I, I shouldn't laugh, but it just seems predictable. <laughs> I just got some, yeah, I just got some very, like, disturbing letters off people. And I think, oh, well, I think not for that one, but for another zine, I had someone oh. turn up at my house when I was still living with my parents, and I just was like, "Ah, there's a lot, lot of interesting yeah. avenues we could go down there." Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back around now to my fascination with confessions of uh, an ex fanzine editor, mm. uh, because uh, it's, it's, I've, I've got, I've got the two that you kindly sent me right here. And I should say right off the top that, that you insisted quite rightly, Alison, that if we were going to do a trade, it couldn't be by PDFs because I needed to feel your magazines and rightly so, because you've got these lovely fake fur <laughs> hearts on the back of them, which is just yes. gorgeous. And I think that was in a couple of the, um, bubblegum sluts you sent me as well. They're full color. Well, they're full color covers. They're a four. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. they both have these uh, th- these very powerful uh, drawings, kind of uh, I don't want to call them cartoons, but drawings on the on the front. And one thing that like it took me a while, like the meta thing. Uh, yeah, okay, it's a fanzine about being an ex fanzine editor. But actually, what got me when I'm doing so many interviews with people who've written books about their lives is this is a memoir in fanzine form, isn't it, Alison? It is. Um, and I had a really interesting thought preparing to do this today. I listened to some of your previous episodes. And I was thinking about this. Although I'm calling myself the ex-editor for this project, am I the first person to be on this podcast who is currently editing a fanzine? Yes, you are. Yeah, I think it's always no, well, been actual ex-editors up to this point, isn't it? You are you are, and you're not. Actually, mm. let me let me back up. Hamish, who co-published, actually it's his publishing company, put out the book We Peaked at Paper. He he is doing fanzines. He's got a Sparks fanzine, and he actually went back mm. and just did uh, did one on a Gestetner to go back and actually see what it was like to do one on 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 the machine that most of us started out with. And uh, I do believe that Graham from South End puts out um, agri uh, with, with permaculture fanzines, like like um, environmental. Yeah. He's involved in literally a grassroots mm. movement, like literally like like uh, gardening. Mm. Um, but you are, I think you're the first one doing it on this level. Like, like both of those are very sort of like this on this level. I think you are. Yeah. And that was exciting for me as well. Yeah. Um, just to go back to what you said before, I mean, yeah, it is kind of a memoir, but when I first came up with the idea that wasn't necessarily the direction it was going to go in, um, just to give a little bit of background, confessions grew out of, um, Bubblegum Zine Archive, which is where I've been archiving my old zines and other people's. 
And of course, the inevitable happened from doing that, that someone says, oh, you should start a zine, you should bring back Bubblegum Slut. And I was like, well, I'm not interested in doing that. But it did start this idea of if I bring out a new zine now, what should it be about? And the first sort of concept for it was, well, I'm completely out of the music scene. I've got nothing to say about music anymore. But what would a music fanzine look like written by someone that's completely out of that circuit? <laughs> yeah. So the first bits I put together for it are all the sort of um, surreal reviews you've got in there. So I've got things like I go to the venues that I once reviewed gigs at, but of course our venues are closing down now. So I'm reviewing hotels and Taco Bells. I, I have um, to pause there because I think that is genius, like literally genius. And I was splitting myself laughing at this because you don't just you don't review them as hotels and train stations do you you review them as if they were taco bells you review them as they're still as if they're still venues yes yes so i still review whatever's playing there tonight um so i had that strand and then at the peak of the zine i mean i used to be getting sort of sackfuls of promo cds every day mm -hmm. and that doesn't happen anymore so i was like well let's review what i do get in the post as if it's um as if it's a promo <laughs> cd and that turned out to be kind of pizza leaflets and medical letters so those were the first bits that was the original concept for it and then the more sort of biograph autobiographical stuff that was originally going to be a page i mean bearing in mind I hadn't written anything for about 10 years at this point and hadn't really connected with that at all. Um, once I started writing that, I was like, actually, I've got quite a lot to say about this period that I've never spoken about before. So you'll notice issue one doesn't actually have an issue number on it. It was originally sort of conceived of as a standalone and then the response to it sort of encouraged me to take it forward. So the... Um, the later issues were all based around a diary I kept in 2012, which was, uh, I think I described it as an eventful and messy year in, uh, in issue two. So, yeah, it's it wasn't. Is 2012 the year that you stopped doing bubblegum and started on your journey to uh, get clean? Um, no, so there were a couple of years in between there. So um, 2011 was Bubblegum Slut's Farewell. That was when the We Parted Too Hard issue came out. And then there was a farewell party, which the after party for obviously went on for a few days. Um, and after that, I went into music PR for a couple of years. And I sort of thought when I was doing the zine, um, that that's where I wanted to be. And actually, it wasn't necessarily a great fit so i was doing that for two for a couple of years there um still partying far too hard and then it was in 2013 that we get the big plot twist in the first confessions and that's the point i started getting clean right so 2012 is the diary of you still being messed up and in fact you do have an entry where the two like two days just mer you know merge because yeah, there's no bed in between them i know you've i've, I've seen seen that entry uh for people who are trying to envisage this. I I don't think you need to be remotely a part of that rock and roll culture that we're talking about to appreciate what uh, you're doing with confessions. I think anybody who's got an interest in people and uh, you actually do review uh, what do you call them train wreck memoirs. Um, yes. Yeah, and so I mean you've reviewed memoirs by people like Elizabeth Wurtzel. There's something quite um, all in like like it, it, powerful that can touch anybody here about your 
a process of trying to get clean and how you feel your days and some of it's with uh, you didn't you didn't know when you first go to AA or something that there's uh, everybody gets encouraged to do bingo and you have <laughs> your you have your period of yoga addiction and um and your period of listening to reggae which to me actually is a cure for just about all ills in the world so you go through all these things but then there is this intensely humorous side and um the venues thing can i just do you mind if i quote from one of these venue reviews because i want to i want people to know that that the the humor here um there i mean they all took me really uh that i loved all of them i I loved that your review in center point in london which you know held the astoria the la2 the 12 bar metros so many places over a period of time that i know as well from my time in london of course now it's it's like you call it uh crossrail apocalypse is that what people are calling it in london (laughs) It's like, certainly what I'm calling it, and it's it's very descriptive right. of the state of affairs right. right now. Right. I mean, it's it's pretty hilarious. You've got um, the Crossrail Apocalypse is not a single enormous dome in developer parlance. It's a 24-hour entertainment destination, which encompasses several distinct spaces. There's been some theme park-level effort to lend the individual bars a sense of character, e.g. the ticket halls, the tunnels, and platform level. But ultimately, this is a homogenous place following a narrow booking policy. And then I love this next sentence. Crossrail Apocalypse has both kinds of commute music, screeching underground carriage noise, the trad sort, none of the craft-worky futurism of the Jubilee line, topped with MCs laying down encouragements to mind the gap and crowd noise. I mean, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's really brilliant. And the fact that you go to this old Army and Navy roundabout that I never knew about, that's now a travelodge, and you go stay there between Christmas and New Year. Um, really, really, really clever stuff. And I think it speaks to where fanzines are so important because you can't put that stuff in music papers. Like, you don't have the freedom to do that. And I know, Jane, you've done lots of similar things and we, like, we, and you should talk yeah. about them. It's, it's, um, to me, this is what part of what makes a fanzine a fanzine. It's, it's where you get an idea of something. You go, if I think it's funny or I think it's cool, hopefully somebody else will. I'm going to do it. Jane. Yeah, I think that's one of the great things about fanzines is it's, it's individual to the person that's made it. And you, you get fanzines on anything and everything. I've seen them on everything from like Cindy dolls to Tim Burton to really sort of deep, sort of um, difficult conversations about subjects like self harm or eating disorders through to um, just, you know, general music scenes. And I think um, it, it's, it, it's maybe kind of a way for voices to be heard that aren't always represented in the mainstream media. I I would and agree. For, and for people to champion things that maybe aren't always, um, to champion bands or whatever that maybe aren't always getting the credit or love they deserve in the mainstream media. Yeah. I just want to um, bring you back around to the train wreck books piece there, because to prepare for this, I got, Several of Jane's old fanzines out Xena archives. I've got a pretty good schizo there. Yeah. Um, and I just realized how many train wreck books Jane introduced me to over the years because you had that whole regular <laughs> column of looks like we've got ourselves yeah. a reader. And I was going yeah. through that and going, it's just so many of my favorite books on my bookshelves yeah. now that I obviously found through your fanzine to begin with. But yes. yeah, I think that's 
a niche that you really championed. Yeah, because yeah, you went down that yoga path. And uh, you know, one of the things you write about in Confessions is this thing that uh, when you actually do manage to stop your drinking, I, I find often it's drinking that leads to the other stuff, uh, you've suddenly got all these hours of the day to fill. So yeah. you have to fill them and maybe you fill them with bingo maybe you fill them with yoga and maybe you fill them with putting together reggae playlists but what you weren't doing for a long time uh Alison is is writing and and you got away from the music scene didn't you you felt that yeah. the need to do that yeah very much so um it was all just too tied up with the bad stuff and I think I felt for a long time that to be clean I just had to run in the opposite direction to the past but Obviously, that ends up being quite unhealthy in itself because you're denying a whole part of yourself. It's not really finding any kind of balance. And doing the zine has actually been really important in that process to kind of reconcile the two things and come to a place of greater balance. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it's been cathartic. Would that be a, a, a good yeah, word to use? Fair, yeah, yeah. Great. I'm glad. And to just talk about one of the other things, because you mentioned it, and then I really wanted to to, to quote from these reviews of venues. Um, you used to get lots of CDs, but you decide to review um, just the things you get in the mail now, as if they're yeah. CDs. And I've got to tell you, it, it actually had me fooled for about five minutes. I was like, <laughs> I was like, hang on. So, so because I'm all for like art rock and meta stuff, and you 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 put the images in as if they're CD covers. So, to be quite honest, I mean, I can imagine an artist called like Block Managers. I mean, I kind of can. I don't know. I can imagine an artist yeah. called Bold with a release called October 2022. It just sounds like the kind of thing that would come up. It looks like an ambient act that would come up on my Spotify. Like, and then, and then I'm realizing, oh, this is actually a bill. And you've written like, you, one, th one thing you can say for Bulb is that they're prolific. There's barely been time to recover from September 22, and already <laughs> the follow-up is here. Um, yeah, so Bulb have actually split up now. Um, some of the ex-members have formed Octopus, so we're playing up bills too now. <laughs> uh, for non-Brits here, which I have to count myself amongst in some ways, what is Bulb? Is it a lighting company? What were they billing uh, you for? It's... It was one of our many ailing energy companies that mm. went over, went under when the bills went up. So I think now they've all merged into Oxbus. Right. Okay. And now they can be even more corporate and charge you even more and have less yeah. customer service. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's let's spin on back to to our fanzine days, to your fanzine days. Um, each of you were there individual inspirations, other zines. Did you did you know other zines before you started? Because not everyone does. How did you set about printing and what kind of print numbers did you start out with? Um, just whoever speaks first, speak first. Jane, I um, feel like I've been hogging the conversation. Here we go. <laughs> I, I got into fanzines because I read there was actually a magazine called The Zine and they had classifieds in the back. And so I sent off for a bunch of sort of Manic Street Preachers fanzines. And then once you sort of get into the network, as it were, you sort of hear about other fanzines because people are advertising other fanzines. You always used to get flyers with your fanzines, do you remember? Yeah. And all of that. And so um, I that, that sort of like reawoke my creativity and I started writing bits and pieces for other zines. And then I started doing like my own, um, like my own fanzines. I think one thing 
that um, really inspired me was I read um, Lisa Carver, who did Roller Derby okay. fanzine. And I had, I, there was like a book that came out of all the sort of um, like bits and pieces from her different issues. And I read that and I thought, oh, well, wow, actually, there is a place for me in fanzines. You can just write about whatever sort of weird and wonderful stuff you're into. You don't have to just kind of be aping the established music press by writing about bands that they're already writing about, as it were, you know, doing that kind of thing. And you don't have to be sort of ultra, ultra political. You can just, you know, be be sort of personal and just kind of write about what you want. Um, I used to get just get my stuff like mainly just like photocopied in copy shops and it was always like really expensive and because I didn't have a job at the time there was times when like that was literally like my birthday present or my Christmas present was I would say to my family can you pay for me to get my latest fanzine printed up wow um, were, you, were you doing that um so you mentioned the uh well yeah i it, it's not easy and it's not cheap and no. uh it never was for me and it was all kinds mm. of problems getting them printed were you uh initially like you said a copy shop was there a point you went over to litho or anything whether where it gets cheaper or is no i just more? i just still did i just still did copy shops because i was mm. only doing quite small numbers um what do you call small I mean, numbers I can i ask um kind of like 50 to 100 never that just never really that many mm -hmm. um i mean i know i mean i think it's interesting because i think back then there was probably more of a divide between fanzines and independent magazines but i think now because of the sort of advances in technology and everything um there's there's less of that divide so uh, whereas you used to think of a fanzine as oh it's 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 always kind of like photocopied A5 black and white. Now increasingly people are able to do like full colour, you know. Yeah. It's a lot um, it's it's a lot easier to do that, which yeah. which can raise a question of, you know, is it a fanzine if you're able to just lay it out nice and neatly on a computer and it doesn't cost much um, to print? You know, there's there's part of that. It's it's, it's kind of difficult because I always sort of like waver between the two of when when does sort of a fanzine become a magazine, if that makes sense? And mm -hmm. I can't, I can't ever really decide. I think it varies from sort of publication to publication. But I wouldn't really, I wouldn't want people to feel that 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 they're denied that chance to express themselves through a fanzine because it's not accessible for you know cost reasons or whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. I think it it, sh it should feel accessible to people yeah yeah so by the way 50 to 100 i don't want us to get hooked on numbers i was very obsessed mm. with jamming which believe me i had to answer that question a lot when does a fanzine become a magazine um mm. and there's there, there are lots and lots of variations on how to define a fanzine um if you're doing something that's got a niche subject it's about am i reaching the people who are into mm. this right i mean i was i i mean i did feel sort of like a bit inadequate at times back then because obviously there were people that were doing sort of much bigger zines that had you know really big circulations and everything and sometimes I think oh god like what am I doing wrong why can't I be like that but then I thought well no 
I I don't relate it to circulation or whatever because, like like you said, I kind of think well if the people that read it liked it then <clears throat> that's what matters to me, and it shouldn't matter whether a thousand other people read what you liked or only ten people read what you liked it they they still liked it and they still connected to it on on their personal level. And I would imagine with small runs like that, you were selling most of them, if not all of them, uh, mail order through through a network. Yeah. 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 So then what's the story with Bubblegum Slut, which is much more about something that grows from, <laughs> from you can tell me its roots, actually, Alison, but it grows. And by the, by the time of your issue 38, it's, wow, it's chocker. I mean, I've got glasses, reading, reading glasses, <laughs> but I think I needed to go up a couple of levels to read it properly. Oh, it was a bit of a joke. Some of the later issues, I think, did have the words magnifying glass sold separately printed in them. I mean, it was size seven font on um, on the reviews pages. So, yeah, they were pretty packed. Um, I mean, Bubblegum Slot, I used to mainly sell it around gigs. Um, and at the time I started in 2000, you'd see um, a lot of other people doing that. You'd see a few zine editors every night. Um and towards the end, I suppose, another sort of more external factor in me stopping doing it was you were going around and people going, well, what is it? And there wasn't really that familiarity anymore. So I think mm. a lot of the people who were staying in print, um, I mean, Jane, you'll be familiar with some of the titles from that period. Yeah. They were more like devolution magazines that were going yeah. a bit glossier, more closer mm. to independent magazines. Yeah. And then a lot of people were going online and mm. that sort of, print fanzine niche I think was really dropping away at that point and I think mm. when you get out of the scene and move on you tend to sort of think everything stops there so coming back mm. now and doing the zine archive projects and doing confessions um, I've been sort of really surprised and pleasantly surprised to discover there's this whole new generation out there and there's this whole new zine culture um, we sort of touched on Mannix fanzines before mm. and I think one of the things that surprised me the most is to find that there's a whole new wave of manic scenes. I don't know if you've yeah. seen this, Jane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen a couple because um, although I stopped doing fanzines, I still carried on um, reading them and collecting them. Mm. So, yeah, I think I've seen I've seen like a couple on. Um, it seems like a lot of people are selling on Etsy and, um, you know, places like that now. So I think, yeah, I think we're seeing a bit of a, this has been a sort of, like you say, it kind of died off a bit as the sort of the internet took off, and now it seems to be sort of coming back a bit. Because I think there's always that there's always that thing where people like to have the sort of physical object, a bit like with music. People, although they're streaming and downloading and everything, there's still there's still people that want that vinyl or compact disc or whatever. I actually think the fanzines are more important than the music as a physical. Um, I hate using the word product, but it, it mm. sort of does does work. Um, and the reason I think that is that uh, your music can have a video attached. So, okay, you want to go watch yeah. a video, which is still not a physical, uh, you know, a, mm. a physical artifact. But a lot of zines, the nature of the zine is how they're laid out, like the fact that they're not professional, but they're artistic. And I think that that's a really important thing about zine culture. Mm. Really, really important that it's to do with the artwork as well. But you mm. are helping answer a question because I was actually out last night with my girlfriend and telling her I was doing this interview. And she's like, are people doing zines anymore? And I said, well, 
you know, they, they never have stopped since the invention of the printing mm. press. All the political movements were started with political pamphlets, which are basically fanzines. Mm. And, um, and, and people will always, always want to communicate and be happy to just find a way to print something up and disseminate it. But I mm. was interested as to whether people are still like, what gigs would I be going to these days if I expected or wanted somebody to walk up to me and say famously, hey, do you want to buy a fanzine? Do you know what gigs I, sh I would be going to? Do you know where that, where that exists in the culture? I think the only place that's left that I'm aware of is just sort of real old school punk gigs. Um, and mm. someone who re recurs through confessions is my friend Bison, uh, my ex-flatmate actually, who writes a fanzine called Eaten Alive. Um, which has been going forever. Um, the past couple of years or so, he's been doing one every month and managing it, which is amazing <laughs> to me as someone who has frequently defined a zine as a publication that opens with an editor's letter apologising for it being late. <laughs> oh, of course it is. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, every he, every he issue of jamming from the second one onwards, I think. <laughs> Carry on. But he still sells um, a lot of scenes at gigs and he does merch stands at gigs and he's always have his mm. scenes there alongside the band's merch. But that's the only niche really I'm aware of where you're sort of selling them face to face mm. these days. Certainly at gigs. I mean, there's there's scene fairs out there, but it's obviously a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Part of uh, your journey with Confessions is reconnecting with people from your scene. Yeah. And there's clearly some. Um, reconciling that has to be done with some people. I think you've got a friend who was also a fanzine editor who wrote you a long letter that, that you, you, you decided you could publish and you talked to her about it. And I think there's something in there where she said, you know, you came to our wedding visibly high and, uh, I, you know, that, that there's a lot to take in there that you were willing to publish all of that and then talk to her about it and make your, make your peace. And it sounded like she had gone through some stuff as well. Is that right? Yeah, very much so. I mean, that is something we kind of reflected on in, I don't really want to call it an interview, it was a chat that I recorded, she's my closest friend, um, that we did kind of reflect that some of the stuff that she said to me in that email, unfortunately, applied later on in her own life. So you sort of never know where time's going to take you. No, you you, you don't. Um, you, you really, really don't. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the quality of the writing that was in uh, your scenes that you sent me. Um, I'm going to bounce back over to you, Jane. You you mm. you, uh, you gave me a bunch of links and and the um, the zines that you um, that you scanned for me uh, yeah are pretty cool. The 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 layout is relatively rud rudimentary, but one thing yeah. I did notice is getting back to that conversation about about uh, about women and sexuality and so on you were whether you were writing in one zine about marilyn monroe and about how great she was or whether mm. on i think it's pussy rock and the archives there you are celebrating uh the acts like and i do remember these acts all pretty well uh, acts like um, shampoo and yeah. and we've got a fuzz box and we know how to use it and strawberry yeah. switchblade and basically mm. any group that is women um mm. and you've got a lot of really really cool things to to, to say about them. i mean you say about shampoo mm. that like like blondie and transvision vamp before them the music press didn't know how to treat blonde pop babes who loves short skirts as much as the sex pistols um and yeah. uh yeah which is an important an important point you say about fuzzbox they made punk seem colorful and funny exuberant and effortless instead of dour 
and depressing and poserish like too many of the other bands around at that time. Uh, they might have looked like a bunch of freaks to your average trendy, but there was still something very down to earth and girl next door about them. They had the kind of feral exuberance last seen in the slits. Yeah, that's quite a bold statement, but clearly yeah. all the way down the line, you are celebrating these acts for uh, being who they are and being proud of who they are, being proud of being yeah. girls and women and being sexual, correct? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've always had like a very wide taste in music. And so, um, you know, it covers everything from, you know, Metallica through to, you know, like you say, shampoo or whatever. I don't see any sort of hierarchy in that one, you know, one band is somehow better than another because they're more successful or whatever. Right. And um, and sometimes, uh, and I, I think just in general, I'm I'm always interested in these bands that get a little, you know, maybe it's a little bit forgotten or, you know, well, not as... Not as credible. I mean, Shampoo yeah, not are not cre credible. They're not credible, but I mean, I would argue that they're still hugely important. Sure. And you do argue that. Um, and yet mm. you point out that they, uh, they did, I mean, I think you write that they made enough money from being one of the big acts in Japan to retire. Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. They did. I did not know that. I mean, I know, them. I know that at one time, I think they were listed on the, on the top, the, like the under 30 richest list in the UK or something. Gosh. And it was because they had, they had a, like a really, they really took off in the far East. Wow. Um, and let's not forget that Shampoo were fanzine editors as well. Yes. They were Manic Scene editors. Mm. Well, you write that they were big Manic uh, fans and there were connections. Yeah. I'm not sure that if you mentioned about them being zine editors, I retained that info. So that's really interesting. Mm. They, they yeah, came... they, did a, they did a fanzine called Last Exit that I've got some, um, I have actually got photocopies of it. So yeah, they, and it's interesting, um, like when you talk about, like say James Brown, who went on to do Loaded, that a lot of people who went on to have quite big, sort of prominent roles in the media did did get their start doing fanzines. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. It's been an incredible entry level for so many so many people. It's just a great way to start out, and I think it's mm. I think it kind of marks you as being somebody who's got an opinion and actually yeah. has enough gumption to get it out there to want to yeah. get it out there, which I think is really cool. Um, you also, I, I particularly liked uh, the article that you did about uh, Prince's protégés, his female protégés, mm. um, yeah. and how, for one thing, they were just so much better than his male ones, and I would totally agree with you. The male ones were oddly <laughs> asexual, not like, I couldn't, you couldn't really see men or women really like, like putting a, uh, a picture on the wall, but how obviously the, the women were very much objectified and some of them were in, yeah. in relationships with prince and if they weren't he was mm. still their um he was still their kind of svengali uh mm. but you but you do a very good job of breaking them down and talking about their artistry yeah. and so on i really like what you wrote about christina as well it's like very yeah. very very good writing and there was something i really enjoyed in bubblegum slot I, I i i can't read all, all of those old issues but you wrote a re i think it was you wrote it addison but you published it anyway a really good uh, piece about the Glitter Band. Yes, I did interview members of the Glitter Band for Gumslart. Yeah, it's a good piece. It's a good piece about how that how that that beat that Mike Leander helped them with um, mm. is universal. It's absolutely universal, and they were much bigger. Um, they had so many hits in their own right, and 
That, yeah, it's yeah. it's really good. Jane, any any inclination to start a fanzine again? Um, you know, I, I oh, I could be tempted. I could. I keep saying, I just I haven't I haven't done one for um, you know, so long, and I feel like I just kind of lost any creativity that I had, and I just don't know how to get it back. What would you but say I wish to that, that Alison? I wish that I could get it back because I uh, used to love doing fanzines and creative stuff. I would say never say never because I had no expectation that I was ever going to make another fanzine. I mean, how the whole zine archive started is um, I I was asked to clear out my parents' loft and I hadn't looked at any of this stuff in over 10 years when I did that mm. last spring. Um, and the week after I cleared it out, um, I got COVID, so I was... Mm. stuck in bed and had all these things around me for reading material and at that point I just hadn't thought about any of this stuff let about let alone doing another zine mm. um and yeah it all started from there so never say never mm. I mean I've been sorting through my um my fanzine collection at the moment because I'm trying to declutter a bit and it is it is like you say it, it's really good to sort of look back on stuff not just like my own stuff mm. But it's that thing of like when you read someone's fanzine and it's like it captures a particular moment in time or a particular scene. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that band from back then that everyone was raving about. And, oh, I, I, I see this particular scene, like whether it's the Riot Girl scene or the goth scene or, you know, like you're saying, the, the punk scene um, had a lot of fanzines as well not just the sort of original punk scene from the 70s, but, you know, right the way through, even now. Uh, Alison, are you um, happy, impressed, pleased with the reaction to Confessions? Yeah, I mean, something I've mentioned before is um, the first one didn't have an issue number on it, and at that point I thought, well, I'm not putting it on there because this could just be a standalone thing. Um, and partly what's encouraged me to keep it going, um, so I wouldn't say... The response more the conversations it started um, and a lot of it has mm. been kind of direct messages um, in some cases people I've known for years so I've never had these kind of deep conversations with Paul that have said oh I've really associated with something in there and I was so so nervous about sending that first one out because I hadn't spoken about any of this stuff before um, and partly what's kept it going is the enjoyment of making it um, but also very much the enjoyment of reconnecting with people and it's starting these conversations after all this time. Um, so, yeah, that it was the response very much that encouraged me to turn it into the series of six that it's now going to be. Oh, it's going to be a series of six. So the third one, I gather, is out now. Is that correct? The third one's out. So you've got the first one that kind of sets up the story. Then these middle four that I'm working on at the moment are based around this 2012 diary I kept. So... The format is you get a quarter of the year from 2012 mm -hmm. alongside what I'm doing now. And a couple of people said, why do you want to limit yourself to three months? You know, it can be as long as you want with a zine. And it's slightly deliberate to make sure that I can't overthink it because yep. a lot of these things I'm mm. finding I'm sort of hesitating on publishing it even, even now. Um, so it's going to be four in that format. And then sometime next year, there'll be a final one to close it out, which is going to be something a little bit special. I love it. And it shows that the zine, the zine culture is eternal. It will always be with us in mm. one shape or form. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, thanks for taking part in this. Thanks for putting out thanks. the zines. And uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care now. Bye bye.
Bye. Bye. If you would like to find out more about Confessions of an Ex-Zine Editor, and I strongly recommend that you should do, you can go to Instagram, Bubblegum Zine Archive. Linktree is also Bubblegum Zine Archive. And Alison is selling her zine, uh, her new zine, and I think some of her old zines on both Ko-Fi, which is something new to me, and Bandcamp, which is not new to me, but uh, I did not know you could sell books on Bandcamp. Apparently you can, and I've actually followed suit, and I'll also provide a link there, although actually it's as simple as Tony Fletcher Author at Bandcamp.com, so it's Tony Fletcher Author com uh, where i have available and this is hopefully of special interest to american listeners some copies i have here where i live in the states of the best of jamming selections and stories from the fanzine that grew up 1977 to 86 and of course jamming is the zine that i put out in those years this is a bumper 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 296 pages i think it's that many color full color zine book put together with Omnibus Press and all manner of contributors from the old days wrote nice little pieces for this. It was all laid out afresh and Billy Bragg wrote the foreword. So um, head on over and you'll be able to pick up a copy uh, direct from me here in the States at a really good price. And additionally, Jane Appleby has quite a few of her zines archived on the web, especially Pussy Rock, and I will supply links for those as well in the show notes. And once again, to just get on the mailing list where you'll get midweek updates about this podcast, other podcasts, fanzines and music, uh, various events, various things to do with my writings. And once a week at the weekend, you'll get a long read uh, should you be interested in my writing. And uh, for paid subscribers, which you don't need to be to sign up over at Substack, uh, there will also be interview archives from not just the jamming days, but some of the books I've written, starting with the Keith Moon book to uh, commemorate the 45th anniversary of his death, which it will be or is on September 7th, 2023. We've got a couple of events going on around that. Again, tonyfletcher.substack.com. So that's probably enough internet uh, URLs for you. This show will be back in a month. It should be with Eddie Pillar of the Mod Zines and the Punk Zines books and his recent memoir, Clean Living Under Difficult Circumstances. I look forward to having you back. And you know what? If you think you should be on this podcast, be like uh, be like Alison and make yourself known to me. And who knows? I would like to cast a net far and wide. I look forward to keeping this show running. Thanks for being a part of it. See you in a month. Oh, the theme music is by Noel Fletcher. The logo's by Greg Mortner, Omnibus. And that'll take us out. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Do you want to buy a copy of Jamming?